Amen. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Hang on, I'll just adjust the glasses now. I can see. We were just thinking about that, I think. Well, welcome this morning, those of you who fall into the L to Z bracket of our congregation, and welcome to those who are watching online, uh, wherever you might be, whether you're in the A to K or whether you're spread across um, different parts of our country, across our world. We were kind of interested to do a bit of a test to see of the two groups that gathered which were the best at singing. Um, we're just very mindful actually that the new seats, which I think this is the first time you guys have been able to avail yourself of them, yes, they actually absorb a little bit more sound than the old pews. And so uh, the first week that we gathered, it was a little curious just to notice the, the sound uh, impact. But uh, I'd have to say sitting down here near the speaker is the best place because it sounded fantastic this morning, so well done you guys. It is uh, a grave concern to us, though as church leaders, that uh, here we are again not able to gather as we are accustomed to do. We find ourselves in our country with uh, New South Wales regional areas as well in lockdown. And I want to go on the record of saying there'll be no jokes about, yes, people in New South Wales, a problem in the same manner that we didn't um, receive those sort of jokes particularly well when it was Victorians who were in the same soup last year. I actually, to be truthful, think one of the great sadnesses that we live with, with what's happened over the past 18 months, is the manner in which our communities have been separated in terms of our states in our nation, but also locally even, and the isolation that we have experienced from one another, uh, a great sadness to us. All that to say, uh, as a church, we're going to continue to work really hard at bringing people together, at creating community, and so this morning we want to welcome those of you who are here. Thank you to those who've brought some morning tea. There is enough morning tea for the next five Sundays, but uh, we're going to have to knock it all off today, and, and if not this morning, then our night congregation uh, will probably do a fairly industrial job on it as well, as uh, Charity, you know, and others that come along at night, uh, they're pretty adept at cleaning up whatever's left over and uh, I, I'm not encouraging you to leave stuff over um, but uh, if there is it won't be a major problem. Just a couple of um, announcements. I neglected to put this into the newsletter on Thursday, entirely my mistake. The Castaways Caravan folks had planned an outing to Namurka for early September. That's been cancelled so I'll just put that out there for anyone who's involved in that. And uh, they're glad to have been able to go to Mount Beauty in March, Token Mall, late in April, in that small window of time, and hope to be able to do something in November. Very, very smart move by John uh, to say November. He didn't say which year. <laughs> so it could be November this year, it could be November next year. Who would know? Darren, uh, really glad uh, the little message that Darren sent this morning, I think, was it late last night? to say that the parcel that we sent to the Adam Thwaites has arrived. And so we just want to say thank you to Australia Post, and because we won't use that word, the Silk Road Post, uh, or whoever has been between uh, in terms of getting that to them. Great photo, Darren, of the family just saying thank you. And for everyone who's contributed to that, we are so grateful. Speaking of helping others, um, Macy will just throw the slide up. Yesterday, again, in that very small window of time that we had, uh, we were able to take a group and we might get a photo of 26 of us managed to get out to Graham Van Brumlin's place out near Tumbarumba yesterday. And uh, if you just imagine, if you can't see, 
Um, 26 of our young adults, actually, predominantly, a few extras, um, Chris and a couple of others who, uh, who were wise and responsible, here we go, um, who were able to go out and participate in entirely safe activities through the course of the day, um, such as uh, chainsaw work. And uh, we had some expert chainsaw operators. I'm just looking to see if we can... You might need to advance that one for me, Macy. I'm just not getting any response from this little clicker. Um, yeah, there's a lot of wood that came down during the fires and so we spent the best part of the day just working our way through some of that, recovering as much firewood as we could, cleaning up, uh, trimming out the shed. We were glad to have um, Christian Kemper and his cousin Scott who came and, and did some more work on the shed that we've constructed for Graham. Uh, there they are up there enjoying themselves. Notice, um, of course, the safety harnesses and everything moving on. Uh, picking up wood we i tell you what there was a lot of wood uh, a lot of it, uh, scrap wood that was burnt as well and uh, to be honest there was so much bending and lifting anything below my knees today is out of bounds <laughs> on the floor that's where it's staying so uh, i just want to acknowledge the team that came out there was a great team that worked really well together with us and as you can see we managed to get through about one fifteenth of the work that's there to be done and that actually is not a joke um, the devastation of the fires is immense and so even though we just built this um, firewood heap yesterday there's probably at least another seven or eight that will ultimately be done if we continue that work and our team's keen to go back so that's fantastic. Those of you who've been in touch with the newsletter will know that we're going to try uh, another experiment in this life of changeability, of uh, moving to two services next Sunday morning so that we don't have half and half and you miss a week, you miss, uh, you miss the opportunity to be together. And so um, for this next little season, which might be for a week, two weeks, five weeks, who would know? Uh, we're going to have a crack at two services, one at 9 o'clock in the morning and one at 10.45. I think that's right. Is that resonating? I'm just getting a bit muddled up with the times. So, those of you who, uh, who like to be up and about early, 9 o'clock might be your time. But if you really like being up and early, join the Wacom team because they're going to have to be here really early to get stuff organised for us to be able to do that. Morning tea between the services, we'll probably start doing that outdoors so that we can overlap with our congregation, so that we can inside have 100, outside up to 300. And uh, then the 10.45 service will be a repeat, identical pretty much in terms of the team, uh, the speaker and uh, everything that happens, the order of service. So you might want to give some thought now to which service would be your preference. We are, at least at the start, going to need to have some kind of a registration system and I'll let people know that through this week. It'll be on our website, we'll let you have that information. All you'll need to do is book in, it'll give you a ticket kind of uh, situation so that you know uh, there's a limit on how many that can book in, of course, so you'll see your, your, as you book you'll see the ticket numbers go down. So as soon as that's up and running we'll let you know you might like to get onto that early in the week so you don't miss out. Um, that would be sad. We'll still do our night service as usual, so those in the night congregation, um, that will be for you as well. Now, I'm going to ask um, Bethany and Leah, if you'd like to come up to the stage, and Heidi, just come and stand down here in front of the stage for me, Heidi. I'm going to give the microphone to these guys, and the girls and boys, you can... I think you might just stay where you are at the moment. Um, it might be easier. Heidi, I'm going to just pop this blindfold onto you, if that's okay. Do you trust him, Heidi? 
Of course she does, I'm the pastor. <laughs> just pop that on there. All right, now don't talk up there for a minute. I want you just to spin around a couple of times and another couple of times. That's it. Do you know which way you're facing? That's good. Now come for a walk with me. Just come down here, trust me. I'm not going to walk you into a chair or anything. We're just going to take you uh, across here towards where the 6, 7 Connect people sit. So have you got any idea where that is? No, she's not talking to me. That's a bad sign. Uh, we're just going to park um, Heidi somewhere over here where the 6, 7 people are. Mind your legs there. It's Thank really you, Alistair. Not to talk when you tell me not to talk, David. Yeah, I know. It's a, t it's a test. And just stay... Just stay there, Heidi. Don't move from there for the moment. Now, just as, uh, as I come back, I'm just going to pop a couple of small obstructions around the place. <laughs> Keeping an eye on you, Eliza. Okay, here we go. Heidi, what I'd like you to do, without removing your blindfold, is to um, listen to the instructions that you're going to get and see if you can find your way back to the front of the church where you started just a few moments ago, so um, back there where the speakers were. Not where I am at the moment, um, but back at the speakers at the front of the church, okay? So um, Bethany's going to help, Hello. and there's another voice who probably will help as well. So, hi, hi, so Heidi, just um, turn a little bit to your right. Heidi, oh, we're friends, right, Heidi? Heidi, I need you to turn we're to the left. Heidi, turn, turn to the right a little bit. Okay. Can you jump for me? Heidi, can you take five what? steps? Heidi, don't step that way. You're going to walk into a chair. There's a ball See? coming for you. Duck. Heidi, turn a little bit to the right. Heidi, Heidi turn to your... That's it. Turn a bit more to your okay, right, Heidi. Heidi, walk straight ahead. Heidi, we have the same headband. You should Heidi, to me. Heidi, careful. You're about to walk into somebody. Heidi, a little bit to the left. A little bit further to the right. Heidi, they're not telling you the no. right way. You need Heidi, to do a full 180. Three steps. Do you know the right? right do you know your right from your left, Heidi? Heidi? Three steps. Heidi, forward. put up your right hand. Right oh, hand. Put up your right hand, Heidi. Heidi. Just put your hands out so that you can avoid crashing into that chair. Just watch Heidi, out. we've known each other for four years. I am your kids' church Heidi, leader. Keep walking I am forwards. your friend. Heidi, can you hear my voice? Heidi, ignore those this voices. This is the voice to keep listen walking. to, Heidi. Those people are trying to distract you. Do a 180, Heidi. Keep, Heidi, do, it, do this. More steps can you see forward. me do this? Forward. Just okay. turn. Now, Heidi, stop. Heidi. Turn, turn okay. to the right turn again. Turn to the left a little bit. Turn to the left a lot. Left. Heidi, left. Again. Turn to the left Heidi. a lot more. A little bit more. Keep going. Okay. Keep Hi. going. Now forward, keep going. Heidi. Keep walking. You're forwards. walking towards the back of the church. Yep. Don't go Just that way. Keep, keep going. Don't go that way. Go back to six, seven, connect. Church is not over yet, Heidi. Six, seven, Why are you going that way? way? Keep going, Heidi. Keep going. Heidi, morning tea will okay. not be ready right now. Face the left, <laughs> uh, right Heidi. a little bit more. Yeah, a little Heidi, bit to the left. Heidi, remember the time okay. I came to your house and we had so much keep, fun? Keep going, Heidi. You showed me those cool lights in your room. Come on, we've got a bond. Heidi, you need, you now, need to Heidi, hurry up. Something it's taking way too long. Heidi, you're going to need to take... There is nothing on a, the floor. A little bit further forward and there then is a nothing. big step. Don't listen to that voice. That okay. voice is wrong. Yep. Why are you listening to that voice? Okay. It is wrong. You'll get out. I That's right. the way. Yep, keep going. Out of everyone on this stage, you and I are the closest. We are. Keep there going, There is no Heidi. one on this stage who is more important to just you than I'm much closer. Now... <laughs> Heidi, just stop there okay. because you're yeah, about Heidi, to trip over there's something. A, there's a, Heidi, listen there's to me. I'm the tallest on person the floor. on stage. So just... just. And now yeah, I'm just so much careful. closer to you, Heidi. Come on. Keep going, Heidi. Okay, one more step. One more big step. 
over. Yep. Heidi, okay. stop listening to that voice. You are walking in the keep, wrong okay. direction. Okay, now just forward, Heidi. Just keep walking forward. Please don't put your hands out to try and touch Heidi. No, Heidi, there are people trying to touch <coughs> you, okay. Heidi. Heidi, just keep, be careful, just Heidi. Just keep going. Keep Heidi, going. there's someone trying to touch you right now. Keep They're going. right in your bit. right ear. Okay, to They're, the, to the right you. a little bit, Heidi. To the right. Heidi. Okay, forwards. Heidi. Stop, stop, right. stop, stop, stop. I have don't. chocolate. That's I good. will give you Heidi, keep going. Have you I really got chocolate? I do, yeah. Oh, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want some. I, no, stop, Heidi stop, like stop. You're going the wrong way, Heidi. Heidi. Stop there. You've done so well. <laughs> well done. Thank you. That was well and truly worth a round of applause. Leah was just so calm. I know. Is she like this at home? No, I should ask the children. <laughs> Is mum like this at home? Does she just cool, calm and collect it all the time? She said, Heidi, do the dishes. There's no chocolate now, Heidi. No chocolate. You should have listened to me. So what do we learn from that illustration, Bethany? What do we learn? I think I, I, I learn a lot that Heidi doesn't think I'm the most important on stage, for starters. Um, you know, there's a, there's a few differences. You were trying to help Heidi a bit, weren't you? For some of it. Well... Well, down the back here, you were helping a little bit, but then you kind of... I wasn't helping at all at any point. But, Leah, you did, you did quite amazing. And not once did you try to convince her that you were the right person to listen to, did you? I did. She didn't listen to me, did she? No. Listen to you? No. No. Paid no attention to me at all. No. Shame on you. <laughs> you know what, David? There is a ton of things around us all the time trying to call us in different directions. Lots and lots of different voices. Lots and lots and lots of different voices. What kind of voices do you hear? Well, there's voices from radio or people radio. on the television or friends mm -hmm. or work, work oh, I shouldn't say work colleagues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Matt. <laughs> do, do you know food also calls me? Food. Food's always like a yep. voice in my head saying, mm -hmm. choose me, I'm the thing to do right now. Um, but, yep. you sleep. know. Sleep. Oh, yes, yes. Sleep. But, um. I suppose this illustration that we're trying to illustrate today, a lot of us will already be on top of this, but there's one voice that we should listen to, one voice that doesn't actually tell us to listen, like doesn't say, no, 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 I'm the most important because he already knows he's the most important and we already know he's the most important. Um, and that one voice that we should listen through to through all these distractions of food and TV and friends and influencers and social Stuff. situations, mm. yeah, um, you got something to add to that? Because I'm, <laughs> I'm still vibing off <laughs> telling them to go the wrong way. I'm actually reminded of something Jesus said in John chapter 10, mm. where he talked about the shepherd and the sheep. Yes. And you're familiar with this story, right? The sheep know the shepherd's voice. And in the same way, Heidi, why did you listen to mum's voice? You knew that voice, you trusted that voice, and in that same manner we can trust the voice of Jesus in the midst of all those yeah. other voices that we hear. And she knows that she's fully known by her mum too. So her mum's not going to lead her astray. Whereas Heidi and I have only known each other a couple of years. You and Heidi probably even less. So we're not as trustworthy, are we, Heidi? We're still trustworthy people, aren't we, Heidi? <laughs> we're still trustworthy. But we'll you're going to trust mum above all. Thank you, Leah. Thank you, Bethany. Great Thank you. little illustration there. I, um, I am actually reminded of the occasion when I was at Bible College. We rented a property next door to the college. It was about two acres or so, which was a lot of grass to mow. And so I had this brilliant brainwave. I put sheep on it and I fenced them in and I hand-fed them over summer and I used to go and walk among them and I'd talk to them and 
they got to know me and they were not scared and if I went out I'd call them I'd say come on come on come on and they would run from wherever they were and then at the end of that season of life uh, we took those seven we actually owned six I had seven we had one we found on the side of the road so we grabbed him and called him Russell (coughs) that's how we got him (laughs) we took the six back down and popped them back into a flock of sheep and a year later I went down to the property down there in the Western District. There was a heap, maybe 20 or 30 of them in a flock just grazing away and I thought I'll do a little experiment. And I called out, come on, come on, come on, the same way. Six heads popped up straight away. The others totally ignored me. The sheep know the voice of the shepherd. And how important is that in this day and age? Let's pray. Uh, six seven connect folks you guys can sneak away if you'd like to do that you're most welcome to stay because it'll be an outstanding sermon um kids church sorry (laughs) kids you can sneak away too you're welcome to stay as well it's kind of going to half the congregation makes it so much harder for me now all the energy's leaving the room let's uh, join together in prayer Lord Jesus, it's your voice that we long to hear today in the midst of the clamour of the noise around about us, the noise that we have been reminded of, noise that comes from the media, from our relationships, from our own desires and hungers, uh, from friends, from our circumstances... Uh, We live in a world where it's hard to discern truth, it's hard to know how to make decisions, it's hard to know what's right and what's wrong sometimes when everybody around us is chasing down in one direction and your voice seems to be saying something else. But Lord Jesus, today we come and sit together at this time in these places wherever we might be and desire eagerly that we might hear what you are saying. Lord, we would pray again today for the world around us. We just again acknowledge the rapidity of change that continually uh, faces, uh, that we continually face. We're so mindful again today that a, a large chunk of our congregation is precluded from joining with us here in person. And we're sad for that, Lord. Our desire is very much to be together as your people, to witness by our gathering to who you are, what you've done for us, and that great end times gathering that we will participate in. Our desire is to worship with other brothers and sisters in Christ, to exalt your name, and it's hard for us to do that. We pray for those who even again today Uh, not able to work as they might like to not able to travel as they might have hoped to not able to go about their activities in the manner that they have become accustomed to lord may their peace and their strength be found in you as we wait upon you just as we were reminded to do last week we thank you lord that you are still god and that you will continue to work out your purposes in this world that you have given to us. We pray, Lord, that we might be ever mindful of your presence, that we might be responsive to your spirit, 
that we might be gracious in the face of some challenging times, that we might be edifying in our speech and attitudes, that we might be uh, exhibiting the, uh, the qualities of kindness and goodness and peace and patience in our relationships one with another. And as we come now to dig a little into your word today, we pray that you will help us to be uh, discerning and good at listening to what the scriptures are saying, uh, mindful that you've called us to exercise our minds, we're not to switch off our brains when we come to your word, we believe, uh, not only because of the gift of faith that you've given to us, but because what you say makes so much sense. And so today, Lord, we entrust ourselves into your care again, in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I wonder whether, um, and just before I wonder anything, Rob, I wonder if you could just remove those pool noodles from the floor, just in case anybody does <laughs> take a tumble on them. Um, I wonder if there's been anyone here who's ever been to a protest rally. Anyone? Anyone ever kind of said, yeah, I really believe strongly in this issue, so I'm going to march, I'm going to have a placard, I'm going to chant, I'm going to, you know, follow that, what do we want? Um, equal rights for Freddo frogs, when do we want them? Now, what, nobody? Maybe one or two. I'm not going to ask, <laughs> I'm not going to ask in this context what it was, maybe later, I'd be interested to know. On the whole, um, we are pretty compliant people, aren't we? But I did actually find myself at a protest rally a few years ago. It's a rather an interesting story. It was the year 1996, which in terms of Australia's history was an interesting year because, uh, as some of you might remember, on the 28th of January, I think it was, 1996, I'm not sure that date is quite right. Eric, you might be able to confirm this for me. Port Arthur Massacre took place. 28th of April, thank you, yes. As I read January, I thought that's not right. 28th of April... Uh, etched, no, seared into Australia's collective memory. And subsequent to this tragedy, there was a very strong and I think quite an appropriate response by the Australian government to rein in uh, the, the, uh, the preponderance of gun ownership in our country. And this is a personal and perhaps a political view, I think it was one of the most courageous acts of government we've seen in a long time because Howard by and large went against many of his constituents and their desires in enacting those laws but uh, he did that. On the 15th of June uh, 1996, just a little while later with these new laws having been proposed, there was a gathering in Melbourne, about 80,000 people from all over Victoria gathered and marched through the streets verbalising their opposition to the proposed laws, uh, specifically laws uh, outlawing semi-automatic and automatic weapons. And at the time, Diana and I had not long moved to Melbourne. We had previously, in fact, um, not long at all before that, had uh, been living out there in Boundary Bend. And, you know, you're familiar with the countryside. Everybody would carry um, a firearm with them. And so, as we were then living in Melbourne, many of my friends, or a number of friends, said, did you go to the gun rally? And I said, yeah, but I didn't tell them which one, because there were actually two. 
There was the one on Saturday with the people who were marching, who were uh, placarding, who were demanding uh, a repealing of the proposed legislation. And on the Sunday, there was another one. And it just so happened, and it was almost by accident, after church, Diane and I just took a drive into the city. We were living in Melbourne at the time. It was a beautiful day. One of those lovely autumnal afternoons, we went and we parked and we thought this would be interesting just to go along and see because I've got to admit I had some empathy with, uh, with some of the laws in the sense that I had lived in the country. I'd seen uh, to some degree the laissez-faire attitude that some of the young guys had towards guns. I don't think there was a single roadside sign in Victoria that hadn't been peppered at some stage. <laughs> there was unlikely to have been a farmer within the vicinity of a town that hadn't suffered some sort of loss. And to be bluntly honest, in 1996 there was something in the order of 500 gun-related deaths in Australia. Quite a lot, either accidental or uh, malicious. And so I was quite empathetic towards this idea of stronger checks, uh, safer storage, better registration. And so we went along and joined the march. You didn't realise I was such a radical, did you? <laughs> it, was a, it was a happy family outing. And it really was. Um, the people were very pleasant. They were, they were not, um, uh, what's a good word, they were not violent in their demands. They just said, look, we, we kind of support uh, this situation. But as far as I can remember, that's the only protest march that I've ever been to. And, uh, and we really kind of turned up there by accident anyway. And again, because by and large, I think we are pretty much compliant people, aren't we? We're happy just to kind of go with the flow, if you like. Last Sunday, I spoke um, to an enormous group of people. There were three in the building, two at the back and myself, about some of the grief that we were experiencing uh, with Victoria's sixth lockdown. And uh, like a wind-blown desert, the ground keeps moving in this COVID thing, and so we're all too familiar today with the fact that most of our New South Wales folks are not able to be here uh, and they are experiencing the bitter taste of a government-mandated lockdown today. And if you're like me, and we'll be honest in this space, you too have probably grizzled and grumbled a bit about it, true? Who really, really enjoys wearing masks? You're not, you haven't got them on at the moment because you like them, I'm just kind of guessing, but we do it. And I've ruminated, at least internally, on how I hate wearing this stupid thing and, uh, and I have, on occasions, blown some smoke in the privacy of my own home, mind you, about the fact that I'm not allowed to have friends in the privacy of my own home. Um, that's really annoying. And on a couple of occasions in this past 12 months, at least two if not three, maybe four times, I forget, I have actually gone so far as writing to our politicians and saying, have you considered um, how this is actually affecting us? The most recent one was the occasion when they said to us, you can gather, you can have 150 people but only 75 inside. And so I wrote and, uh, and kind of obliquely asked them, what were they smoking down there at Spring Street? Because it just struck me as being the weirdest thing. Which church in this universe can have 75 inside and 75 outside in the cold in the middle of winter? I haven't got a response back from that one yet. I did actually get one back on another issue as I was raising some of the concerns around the ongoing mental health, uh, well, what would you say, some of the mental health impacts 
uh, had quite a long letter back from the Department of Health just this week, which was kind of encouraging to know at least someone was reading the letter. But, again, for the most part, uh, we are compliant people. And so I thought today what we would do is just spend a little bit of time addressing the question, is there a point that we get to where we say, as individuals or as a church, enough is enough? And how will we know when we get to that point? Now, before we get into that, let me just say there's not enough time together today to even begin doing justice to this topic. So I'm going to do some pond skimming today in some senses. But the question really is where might we come to um, with this? Is there a point where we won't comply? And what does the scripture say in that space and they're questions that are to some degree hypothetical although there have been a handful of Christians even in Victoria who have said no we believe we should be allowed to meet and so they have I'm not going to criticize them or judge them they've made that decision according to their conscience uh, we as I've explained here on a few occasions have made quite a different decision in our context but throughout human history including the history of the church there have been many occasions when men and women of faith have said enough is enough if you go back to the time of the hebrew midwives in egypt for instance they openly well perhaps not openly uh, they defied the, the dictate of pharaoh king of egypt and they attended to the birth of the uh, jewish children the israelite children it was Rahab, you might remember, who hid the spies from the authorities and Rahab was commended for her act of civil disobedience. If we come into the New Testament, both Peter and John uh, in Acts chapter 4 were explicitly forbidden by the Jewish authorities to speak or teach in the name of Jesus uh, but they defied that instruction, challenging the Sanhedrin, as it was, who were prohibiting them from doing that by saying who do we obey you or God and so they realized there was a line that had been drawn there that they needed to uh, to adhere to the apostle Paul was lowered from a basket in, uh, from a window uh, to escape the authorities the Jewish authorities in Damascus and so Peter and Paul and others in the New Testament on occasions disobeyed those who had authority if we uh, jump from the New Testament into the New Testament times, we're very familiar with stories of Christians who were persecuted for their faith in the early years in the church. And persecution, interestingly enough, didn't at first come from the Romans. It came from their own countrymen, by and large. Because one of the things that set the Christians apart was a disengagement from the social norm of the day. You put it this way, you couldn't do much at all in the ancient world without engaging with the gods you go to the market the food had been sacrificed to the gods you go to some sort of entertainment there would be um, acknowledgement of the gods um, buy clothes that had come from someone who was making sacrifices to the gods whatever it might be every element of pagan society incorporated worships worship to the gods and Christians removed themselves from that and their society sanctioned them for that, made other people very uncomfortable, made other people think that the 
uh, and in ancient times, some of the plagues that happened, uh, or can we use the word pandemic, is that going to upset anyone? Some of the pandemics that uh, swept through the world, the Christians were blamed because they were not worshipping the gods like everyone else. They were very convenient scapegoats in that space. And throughout history, and here's an important point, throughout history, conformity and not distinctiveness is the way to a trouble-free life. Think about that for a moment. Throughout history, conformity, not distinctiveness, is the way to a trouble-free life. And so in those early days, many Christians refused to conform and so they encountered troubles. And if I was just to take um, a deviation for a second from the script, I'd like to say this. One of the cultural shifts that I find really troubling uh, for us in our day is, is this tension between... On the one hand, we are told, as individuals, you can be whatever you like. You can be whoever you want to be. You can redefine yourself however you want. You can join the dots. On the other hand, we're told, well, no, we're not told this, if you do deviate from certain norms, you are sanctioned for it. So on the one hand, over here, I can redefine myself and my identity however I like, but if over here I say, wait on a second, isn't there a problem with the logic in that? I'll be called out as someone who's got some sort of mental deficiency. And so, yes, there's this emphasis on individuality and whatnot, but at the same time, a call to the conformity of the cultural narrative. Does this make sense? Do you understand what I'm trying to say? And so, Christians, let's not be under any illusion about this. If we call out some of these things that we see happening in our culture as things that may not actually be that wise and certainly not godly, we'll be called on it because we're not joining in with this dominant cultural narrative. Back to the script. We know um, the trouble that came from the Roman Empire when Christians refused to engage in worship of the emperor. They refused to attribute deity or holiness to a guy who was just a secular leader. He believed he was a god, but he wasn't, of course. What would you have done in that situation? Interesting, it happened um, back in 2011, I think it was, uh, some of you who are into MasterChef might remember this. I took notice of this um, particular season, or not so much the season, uh, but this event. There was a young lady on MasterChef called Kate Brax, a Christian, an evangelical Christian girl. And they, for whatever reason, the producers decided it would be really smart to have the Dalai Lama come along as a special guest. Do you remember this? The Dalai Lama, who typically people would refer, refer to as Your Holiness. And Kate said, and she stuck to it during the filming of that uh, particular series, she said, I don't believe that he is a holy man, there's only one who is holy and that's God and so I'm not going to refer to the Dalai Lama as your holiness. She was prepared to call him Mr Dalai or uh, Sir Lama or I don't know, whatever. <laughs> oh, I shouldn't make light of that because she actually, seriously, she took a stand and it would have been quite difficult and it was perhaps made all the more difficult because, well, maybe not made more difficult, it was contrasted because after the meal had been prepared for the Dalai Lama, a number of significant religious leaders were called in, including some Christians, uh, significant Christian leaders who had no compunction whatsoever about calling him Your Holiness. What would you have done in that situation? 
It's an interesting question, isn't it? Where is the line? Where is the line that we're not prepared to step over? For Kate, she said, here's my line. That's according to her conscience and we honour her for that. For others said, here is the line. According to their conscience, we have to recognise and honour that. What is really interesting in the Bible is that both Peter and Paul fell foul of the authorities and acted in a manner that was in disobedience to the governing authorities and yet if we come to the scriptures they had the opportunity to write some very strong passages about submitting to authority if you've got your bible there we're not going to read too much Um, romans chapter 13 is the primary text that i'll bounce out of here for a couple of minutes Um, but you'll also find um, the text 1 peter chapter 2 verses 13 to 14 quite useful for in romans chapter 13 Um, Paul said these words, "Everyone, uh, everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities for there is no authority except that which God established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, he who rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted and those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers hold no terror for those who do right but for those who do wrong." Do you want to be free from fear of the one in authority? Then do what is right and he will commend you. For he is God's servant to do you good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword for nothing. He is God's servant, an agent of wrath to bring punishment on the wrongdoer. Therefore, it is necessary to submit to the authorities, not only because of the possible punishment, but also because of conscience. That's an interesting statement. And then 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 14. Peter said, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every authority instituted among men, whether to the king as supreme authority or to governors who are sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to commend those who do right. It's interesting, isn't it? Both of those guys had fallen foul of the authorities at some stage and yet both of them are now writing in these scriptures passages that would suggest quite a different view how do we reconcile those two things have they been uh, bullied brainwashed have they somehow capitulated and so they're towing the party line now they don't want to get in trouble anymore i don't think that's the case and it's an interesting question not only the question that i've just put to you but the whole question of where do we draw the line it's something we absolutely have to get right If we turn the clock back even into recent history, I was reading a little around this this week. You know, the church in Germany faced similar questions. When do you draw a line? And what you see happening in your world? And some of them got it right, but a lot of them didn't. This is a really critical question. What do do we say from the passages from Peter and from Paul? Just some observations really quickly. First of all, even though these passages sound like they're encouraging compliance and obedience and submission at the time that they were written they were highly subversive highly subversive seditious even the idea that god is ultimately the king would never have occurred to caesar that's not an idea he would have ruminated on at night time let me tell you he wouldn't lie in bed thinking 
I'm just going to pretend to be God. There is actually a higher authority than me. That's not the case. That's not how the world works. And so for Paul, uh, uh, for Paul or Peter to say, there is a higher authority. You're only in charge of this for now because God's put you there. That's a very subversive idea. And it's not actually bad to be reminded of that in, a, pardon me, in our time either. Our Prime Minister is Prime Minister. Why? Because we elected him, right? But because God allowed him to be. Our Premier is Premier because God has allowed him to be. He's put him in that place. He has no authority higher than God's authority. And so we have to be careful about this warning that Paul gives us here in Romans 13:2, where he says, the one who rebels against authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Let's just park that thought for a second. Because it's important to read that through this lens. It's a slightly different lens. And that is that when Peter and Paul wrote, they were describing ideal authority or ideal government. Ideally, how does a government work? Well, a government is in place to uh, maintain order and structure and function, all of the things that we call good governance, right? What happens if we have no government the opposite of good governance is anarchy who's up for that I've not yet met a person I've met some people who've lived in context of anarchy I've worked with people who have uh, who have lived for a, a long season of life in a context where there is no government where it is well it's war basically uh, it, it's a free-for-all it's anarchy these guys both Peter and Paul are actually writing uh, about submission to the authorities assuming that those authorities were acting in a benign manner that's their assumption the reality is and we need to read this through that lens through this lens if this is getting confusing you can watch the video later <laughs> um, they wrote understanding that although they were describing good government the government that they had wasn't good it was actually, we could call it an evil government. In other words, a government that was actively persecuting people who sought to obey the authority of God. However, in uh, these passages, particularly Romans chapter 13, Paul was writing to Christians to help them live in this world that is in such turmoil, a world that should be well governed but wasn't being well governed. How do you submit in a world that's not being well governed by people who are not governing well? Well, he said a couple of really interesting things back in Romans chapter 12. Um, let me take you to verse 18. He says, if, and this is before the passage on submission, he says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live in peace with everyone. That's good advice, isn't it? As far as it's possible, live in peace with everyone. And then when he comes to verse 21, and before coming to that, um, he does say there, don't take revenge, verse 19, leave room for God to deal with that. Uh, on the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. That's a great image, isn't it? Who's ever had burning coals tipped on their head? I can't imagine that would be very pleasant. But then he comes to verse 21 and he says another very, very significant thing in the context of living with a government that is not functioning in a benign manner. He says, do not overcome evil, sorry, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. 
One of the strategies that Paul is advocating here is not to use the same tools that evil uses. You've got a bad government, don't become a bad person. You overcome that by being the opposite. A good government, according to both Peter and Paul, is about maintaining good order and peaceful activity and respect and proper function and submitting to authority, and just think about this for a second, submitting to authority is actually about helping maintain good governance. Think about this in the church, for instance. This is probably not going to be a great illustration because I've only just thought of it in the last two seconds. So if it's no good, we will wipe this part off the tape. Um, (laughs) But let's just play with the idea, right? Submitting to authority. What does it actually mean? It means helping maintain the structures and helping those structures function in a manner that is good for everyone. So submitting to authority in the church, whether it's to the eldership or whatever, means helping the church function right. Is that okay? We get away with that? What does it mean in a marriage if, as the scriptures tells us to, to submit to one another in love? It's not about one person being the boss over the other, is it? It's not about a husband lording it over his wife or the wife lording it over her husband, and it can go both ways. Uh, Mutual submission actually means working together to make the marriage work. And submission that Paul and Peter are talking about here is not the same word in the original language as obey, very important to note that, Uh, the word submit that they use, submit to those in authority, submit to those who govern, means work to help it work properly. And there will be times inevitably where you will have to disobey, particularly if they overstep the mark and start asking you or act in a manner that is contrary to the will of God. In the context of their ministry, both Peter and Paul had always submitted to the authorities in so much as they had acted in a manner that contributed to order and respect. But we have to be honest to say that neither of them had always obeyed. Can you see the difference between those two things? There were occasions when they disobeyed and rather interestingly, when they were chucked in prison, when they were flogged or whatever, they accepted those punishments as part of their submission, recognising that for good government there had to be consequences for people who broke the law. Now, this can open up a whole Pandora's box, couldn't it? What does that mean for us? Let's park that thought for another day. Um, but let me just give you an example of how the opposite has the opposite effect. In AD 66, uh, the Romans, of course, were still occupying the Middle East. The Zealot Party in uh, Palestine, not Palestine, in uh, Israel, uh, rose up and they used violence against violence. Rather than submitting and trying to change from within, they rose up uh, violently against the authorities and uh, we know what happened. They didn't submit at all. They refused to obey. They fought, fought against the, uh, the Romans. They tore away at the structure of order and government and that resulted in the destruction of the Jewish nation. All this to say, as followers of Jesus, I believe it's possible for us to submit to the authorities without compromising our moral standards or values Uh, because we're not actually always called on to obey and there will potentially be times where the authorities say this is what you are to do and it will be 
contrary to what God uh, and his word asks us to do, at which point we have every reason to say, no, we won't do that. That is still submitting, uh, but it's still obeying God over the authorities. And John and Peter flagged this distinction. They submitted to the authorities, but they made it clear where their first priority was in terms of obedience. You can think about some of those things through the week. Let me just finish with a couple of other fairly brief and unsatisfying observations. Um, submitting to authority, especially when they're not godly authorities, is not always easy, but, and here's a bit of a kicker, it's an, an important place for spiritual growth. You think about that one for a moment. We learn things like patience. You know, Has anyone here ever prayed for patience? And the answer that God sometimes gives when we, praise, when we pray for patience is a more difficult situation because it's through those trials that we learn patience. We learn to submit by being put by God into places where we have to submit. And the reality too is, and I'll just put this out for you to think about, um, the person who has trouble submitting to an authority, whether it's the principal at their school or in their church or wherever, often has trouble submitting to the authority of God. Second observation is this, knowing when to disobey, knowing when to dig our toes in and say, this far but no further will not be as easy as I used to think it would be. You know, when I was growing up, I was reading the Bible, Revelation, I thought, yeah, look at those, the Christians there, they're standing up against this evil government. When it happens, we will know and it will be really clear to us. And I don't believe that's the case anymore. This, uh, this season that we've, um, uh, what's a good word, I was going to say endured, that's probably not a bad description. Uh, this season that we have been living in over the past 18 months has been interesting. We've seen a very rapid and, and incremental reigning in of freedom, haven't we? Things that we used to take for granted, we can't do them anymore. And we comply and that's fair enough. It happened in a manner and it happened with a speed that took us all by surprise, I think. Who could have imagined at the end of, no, at the start of 2020, uh, what 2020, even 2021 would look like? Um, this kind of suggests to me that um, this tide of ungodliness that our world is moving towards will make it quite difficult for us to know when to take a stand. There's an interesting link, uh, and I've spoken a little bit about this in the past, in the scriptures. You know, Jesus was talking about the end times. He had a lot to say about the time when he would come back. And people throughout history have been watching for the signs, you know, earthquakes and famines and all this stuff. Jesus, the time that Jesus is coming back must be getting closer and closer. We'll know when it's coming because it will be obvious, Right? And yet Jesus said, even up to that day, people will still be going about their business just like usual. People will be marrying and being given in marriage. They'll be going about their lives just like usual. All of these things that are going to impact us uh, are going to creep up on us and we may be taken by surprise. Third observation is this, the decision to take a stand, whatever that stand, I think will probably be one informed by individual conscience rather than directed from a, an authority like a church leader or a church. Um, I suspect too, and these are just my thoughts, so don't take them as gospel, uh, I suspect that 
uh, it could be quite divisive too because we may find some people in the church will say we need to take a stand on this and we'll have others saying no we don't uh, we've had uh, look i'll speak truthfully we've had people who've said to me we need to gather you know we need to defy our government and i've said i appreciate where you're coming from but i think we need to keep our powder dry as a church until that day when we really need to take a stand on something that's my opinion and it's only an opinion uh, we'll have to be very mindful that some of these things will be directed by conscience a friend of mine in ministry actually was an associate of mine one day got himself photographed in the newspaper looking really miserable sitting down outside the office of our local federal member he was there protesting the treatment of asylum seekers and uh, one of our colleagues in the town was arrested because he chained himself to the door or some such thing They should have just taken the door off its hinges and left him <laughs> anyway. Uh, that was a conscience decision that he made. Was it something I was going to do? Look, I have every sympathy with the issue. Probably wouldn't have done what he did, but that was his choice and I honour him in that space. Um, but having said that, we will probably need to be very mindful that some of these things will be a conscientious objection if you like they're not going to be easy because of the pressure that we get from one another and from other places of this though i am convinced some of those things are conjecture that i've just spoken about more than ever before as was illustrated so well here with bethany and leah this morning we need to be mindful who it is that we're listening to and drilling our lives down into the word of god and asking what is god wanting us to do in this space how does god want me to respond in this space we live in a time where the truth is up for negotiation uh, truth is what you define it according to lots of people in our world and like the frog that sits in the pan that is slowly being boiled up if we immerse ourselves in the milieu of the culture we will just be carried along with it and we won't see the compromises that are called upon to be made if we're not anchoring ourselves in the scriptures and peter and john were clear on what was required of them by god and so they knew what they had to do judge for yourselves they said to the sanhedrin as they challenged those men with uh, with their attitude is it better that we obey god or man and that's the question that's ultimately going to be the fulcrum upon which some of these decisions will have to be made better to obey god or better to obey man that's the difficult question we'll have to address let's pray let's ask for god for wisdom and perhaps um, revisit this topic again sometime god we do um yeah i'm just so conscious that this is a topic that requires so much careful thought so much diligence so much digging into your word we've dealt with it in a really superficial manner this morning but perhaps prompted some reflections that will be helpful for us in this space we thank you lord for your word we thank you that it is there for us to be nourished by to be shaped by and to be informed by we're so conscious that in our world today um, people have by and large assumed responsibility as the ultimate authority for their lives for their morals for the decisions that they make and yet we live as Christians under the authority of you and your word. We seek today, Lord, to submit ourselves to that, to be informed by that, to be conformed to it, to be shaped by it, to be moulded in Christ-likeness.
Lord, uh, again, we just would today ask that you would be amongst us, with us, through us, in a powerful way that we might glorify you in our decisions, in our actions, in our attitudes, in everything. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.